Hello and welcome to the latest episode of SIS Masters podcast, the podcast where we dive into the world of sports industry leaders, the ones who make a difference. Today I'm delighted to introduce Jenna Kurat, VP of Startup Development and Head of Comcast NBCU Sports Tech. I enjoyed a lot that talk. I've learned a lot. Since Jenna and Comcast NBCU Sports Tech have done a great job at creating a virtuous ecosystem for the ones involved. Sports organizations, which are partnering, Comcast NBC Universal's brands and the big ones, and of course the startups. And we're talking big names. Let us want to be involved as a partner, the English Premier League. Jenna is leading the strategy for, for the Accelerator Fund, defining investment thesis and managing key industry partnerships. Comcast NBC Universal Sports Tech finds, founds, and fast tracks the most innovative startups from around the world. We will talk about our journey, the why, what, and how, about concrete cases from startups and the business model around the accelerator. Enjoy this talk and feel free to like and subscribe to our podcast, SIS Masters. Hi, Jenna. How are you today? And welcome to SIS Masters. Where are you? Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. I am in Philadelphia. Um, this is where Comcast headquarters are located. So right downtown in Philadelphia, amazing view out the window just over there. What do you see? Beautiful buildings? Uh, yes, you can actually see the river. You can see a lot of buildings. Um, Philadelphia is a, a really unique and diverse city. Amazing food, culture, architecture. It's been a great place to raise our daughter. Ooh, makes me wish to be there with you. Um, I guess it's quite an exciting time for you now. You, you've joined new partners. We're going to speak about that a bit later on at Comcast and BC Sports and BCU Sports Tech. So it's quite exciting time. But today I'm very glad we will speak together about your journey, how you ended up doing what you do now. You will help us understand a lot more about Comcast and BCU Sports Tech. So why, the what, the how. And at the end, I will have a few surprising questions. Ready to start? I'm ready for it. Cool. So now let's start with your journey. I understand you, you're an athlete yourself, right? Yes, I got to run for Baylor University. So I ran for Coach Hart. Uh, Michael Johnson was our assistant coach. Michael um, trained with him throughout his entire career. Um, so just being able to see his work ethic on the track um, was a gift in and of itself. Um, I'm 100% certain anytime he stepped on the line, he could look right and left and confidently know he had put in more work and was ready to win that race. Of course, I did not do sprinting, though. I did the 5,000 and 10,000, so I can't imagine moving that quickly through space. <laughs> uh, uh, my my events were more, you could, you know, see the star, go grab something to eat and come back. <laughs> <and see that. laughs> nice. Mike, uh, Mike Jordan, I always admire him. So unique in the way he races. Uh, the golden shoe, right? Uh, athlete. Yes. What, what did you learn from him? I would say from him, it was truly worth work ethic and just seeing how much he put on the line and how much he valued teamwork and commitment that when he was stepping on the line, some people will think of track and fields as an individual sport because you have a specific race that you specialize in, but it is truly all the points coming together and the teamwork that um, puts you at the top of the leaderboard. So um, there was that. And then Coach Hart, talk about somebody that was just a good person. Um, a good leader. Uh, in fact, he used to always say that he would recruit for good citizens first, great athletes second. 
And it's how I've always thought about how you should build a team too. It's really about the character of the people that you bring together. First, love it, which is very much linked to what you do now. Absolutely. <laughs> In some ways. Very much so. It, it seems your professional career after university has been driven by business development. Nice word. Yes. <laughs> so can you tell us a bit about your journey and what led you to what you do now with Comcast? Uh, I had an opportunity to intern for two summers at Silicon Graphics. Uh, by the time I graduated from college, they were in a bit of a hiring freeze. It was a tough time in the market. Um, and I interviewed all around. And they weren't hiring in the PR department, but they had hired a PR agency. And I will say that was a great place to get my chops because I learned communication skills, working with the media. You hear no more than you hear yes. You've got to think on your feet, be compelling. You've got to make a case for why what you are announcing deserves you know, inches and columns when there's all this other competing news. Uh, I've loved PR Loved corporate communications because you're in the room for a lot of the big decisions with um, senior executives. It was sort of like a mini MBA and how they problem solve. Uh, but I will say what I didn't love was I didn't exactly know how much I was impacting the bottom line. And so I was able to negotiate my way into sales. So I could really understand, you know, what was I contributing from a revenue standpoint? Um, and in there, I just found that it was a mixture of all the things I enjoyed. It was teamwork. It was partnership. It was um, understanding each other's business to find more opportunities and to grow that. Um, it's, it's um, I think, sales and business development, it's a little bit like sports. It's very metric heavy. <laughs> so you have sort of like your metrics and your goals of what you're going to hit. And as an athlete, that's just sort of trained me to have a plan, work the plan, and um, you know, always be pushing myself beyond what I thought I was capable of. And when you do that together in partnership, I think that's really what makes our Comcast NBCU sports tech program amazing, is because we bring in these these sports partners that we all have a shared vested interest in um, making sports more immersive, more fan forward, um, and bringing you closer to all the sports teams and athletes that you love. It seems you're very much interested in finding partnerships and win-win solutions. Exactly. Um, <laughs> you are now leading Comcast NBCU Sports Tech. Um, what is the history of the program? What, why was it created? I think you were one of the first ones. No, your comp competitors are trying to do the same, but you were <laughs> one of the first ones to launch this kind of, of program for media. Company. I think it's important to um, look at what the company does as a whole. So I sit within our startup engagement program. And so we have a long history of working with startups because it pushes us beyond the status quo to improve our products and services. And um, if you look at sports, our investment in sports runs very deep. And so um, by having this early lens of working with startups, we're investing in opportunities that can improve the fan experience, that can differentiate athletes and help them on the path to the podium. And we've been very strategic about how we've built the program. So obviously, it's amazing to be able to work with decision makers from NBC Sports and Golf Channel, and we own Spectacor and Wells Fargo Center and the Flyers. Uh, so Sky Sports, I mean, it, that in and of itself is an amazing playground to test and pilot technology. 
but we wanted to go a little bit bigger and really build off of our media rights and our sponsorship investments. So that just made perfect sense to bring in three Olympic organizations and USA Swimming, Ski and Snowboard, and Cycling. And then we also brought in NASCAR, PGA Tour, WWE. It's huge for um, Peacock and our our streaming service there. And then our latest announcement, which is Premier League. Uh, So arguably- Quite a big one, um, global fan base. First outside uh, of the U.S. Correct, exactly. And and we have seen in the last three years of running the program and applicants applying, especially in our last cohort, about a third of them are international companies. Hmm. Um, many of them already had really strong traction in their specific country, but were looking to break into the U.S. Uh, so we really wanted to diversify and make sure that we were bringing in different sports teams and leagues because it offers a different testing ground in each of those scenarios. If you can get your technology to work in NASCAR, where you have these amazing, huge race courses that oftentimes can fit 17 football fields in the infield, um, that is really difficult technology to be able to pull off at that scale. Equally so, you know, when you're working with our NBC Sports production team, when it comes to Olympics, when it comes to Sunday night football, um, we experiment and make sure it is rock solid to be at that level of expectation that our fans have for us. Hmm. So you were you were mentioning partners. Can you help us? Because some of our audience doesn't know the program yet. Uh, we have American audience. European audience and Latin American audience mostly. Uh, can you help us understand the ecosystems that you've built between partners, startups, you guys? Absolutely. So if you look at us as a company, so we have the opportunity to tell the Team USA stories in the Olympics through 2032. So it made a lot of sense to bring in Olympic sports organizations that have diverse athletes, sports, um, that can build off of what our Xfinity sponsorships do. Um, each of those, you know, whether that's the Summer Olympics or the Winter Olympics, we will bring on Xfinity sponsored athletes that really are ambassadors for our products and services and reach different audiences that are passionate about um, the Olympics. You look at NASCAR, uh, NBC Sports, they broadcast the back half of the season. Um, Xfinity has a 10-year title sponsorship with NASCAR. At the time it was signed, it was the longest sponsorship investment from a length of time. Uh, but then also 13 of the tracks are powered by Comcast Business when it comes to advanced connectivity, uh, Wi-Fi, um, security. So again, a rich place for us to really push the boundaries Then if you look at PGA Tour, obviously, you're not going to have a 24 by 7 dedicated um, cable channel to golf channel and not have PGA Tour as a very tight and deep partner. So that gives us an opportunity to pick technology that will help in both of those arenas. And again, like bring fans closer in, in challenging settings, because if you look at a lot of those golf course properties, they are not always um, wired up with fiber and, and connectivity, yet they are innovating in incredible ways, bringing you know, every shot live so that you can see that, whether that's in the PGA Tour app or on screen in the living room. Uh, WWE, again, talk about an incredible fan base very global fan base. Um, I think they've been, you know, I think they hold the record in in all social uh, metrics when it comes to their followers because it's such a diverse fan base. Um, But again, unique because they are essentially a traveling um, 
uh, entertainment experience. They don't own the um, arenas that they perform in. And so they're constantly needing to work with whatever technology is embedded into that arena. So that is a team that is really adept at figuring things out and pushing the boundaries when it comes to that fan experience. And then Premier League, same thing. We um, we have been um, a partner on the NBC sports side, on the Sky sports side, bringing all of those amazing matches to life with um, the rich storytelling and commentary. And Peacock is an amazing place to be able to watch and consume so much of that. And it's important when you're looking at a streaming service, uh, oftentimes people will sign up, they'll drop off, they'll sign up. But if you have a diverse array of sports, that keeps you tuned in year round. And so it's really great for driving subscriptions and retention for Peacock as well. So I understand what you call the partners are the sports organizations that you have business relationship with, you broadcast mostly. Exactly. Uh, and they are lockstep with us, helping us choose the 10 companies that we invest in each year. So right. It is so one part of your job is to understand their specific needs because each one of them has specific needs. Is that correct? You are 100% correct. In fact, so our applications for cohort four will close August 15th. So the last month and a half, we have been doing our innovation discovery sessions. So it is an in-depth one hour with each of the partners in the consortium. And it is really asking those in-depth questions on what are the priorities? Where's the gaps in the business? What are you really focused on? And what are the uh, technology ingredients that will help you achieve some of the business goals and outcomes that you have defined for the year and beyond? And um, and they're always enlightening um, for each sport team. There's nuances and unique elements. But at the end of the day, there are more commonalities of innovation needs and priorities than there are differences. Hmm. And that does help us narrow down to the top 50 because uh, so last year we had a little over 900 um, people apply, 900 founders. And so it's a daunting it's a daunting task. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, I should mention Boomtown is our operating partner. Um, yeah. And this is what they do. They build bespoke um, accelerator programs on behalf of companies like us. Um, so they have the best of when it comes to deal flow, um, okay. you know, 75 plus years of experience and understanding market dynamics. So we lean heavily on them to get us to the top 50 of those companies. And then that's where each of the partners in the consortium. So all those decision makers um, from the partner consortium have a three-week window to review applications online. So we give them everything from, you know, the product one-liners, uh, product videos and demos. Um, teams will often put in uh, demos about their, their team and their culture and what they're building and what they're passionate about, um, revenue, traction, existing clients. All of that helps us really score and evaluate what would or would not um, bring value to the business. And so we accumulate all of those metrics, very qualitative and quantitative at the same time. That gets us to the top 25. And then we have a Zoom session where we invite those founders to come in, uh, pitch the business, and they are pitching it to the decision makers who will work with them ultimately. And we we make sure that we have packed the Zoom room with all of the subject matter experts. So we ask a lot of difficult questions to make sure that the technology is enterprise ready, as we like to say, so that we can really test and pilot. 
um, that technology and see if it brings business value. And uh, so then once they they do their pitch, we ask all the questions, they exit Zoom left, uh, then we score them again. And then we have the healthy debate afterwards to try to kind of eliminate um, groupthink. And those debates at the end are really, I think, for the partners, very illuminating because oftentimes you will hear, you know, we tried this and here's where it failed, but I could kind of see that perhaps their technology could break through that and here's why. Or you'll hear people think, "Mm, I didn't see a correlation, but now that you mention it, we do have that same challenge over here. I hadn't really thought about applying the technology in that way. So the partners, I think, gain as much from a deep understanding of each other's um, uh, sports needs and and priorities as much as they do from just learning directly from working with those startup founders that are, you know, constantly pushing the boundaries. Yeah, it's not that transactional. It's more how can we do it together? Yes. Yes. These are, um, it's a very intentional program in the way that it has been designed. Um, oftentimes accelerators typically are a three-month program. We mm-hmm. are a six-month program. Um, the primary reason uh, you look at Comcast, uh, we have very stringent um, privacy and security. And so to really vet and fully get through those processes and really test and pilot technology um, have an understanding of how it works, how it touches any of our systems, if that's the case, um, and really map out what those business outcomes are, that takes time. It yeah. takes um, time and diligence. And so the way we've structured it, each of the 10 companies, um, they each get one commercial advisor. So a, a particular leader from one of the partners in the consortium, think of it as sort of like your, your commercial advisor, if you will. And it's because they have... Um, a real vested interest in the team and the technology, and they have line of sight of how they will test and pilot that technology. So we start with that sort of one-to-one relationship. And then um, around the three-month mark, uh, we bring all the teams and the partners back together. We did this in Atlanta. Uh, We always mix it in with attending uh, major sporting events. So you can Mm -hmm. see at scale, could my technology work here? Um, It's just a reminder of you're on the grand stage of sports, which is amazing, but there's high expectations at the same time. And in that setting, those collaboration sessions really unlock more pilots and proof of concepts because the startup will stand up and say, this is how we are testing the technology with, um, with, you know, call it NBC Sports. And um, they'll do sort of a live demo. And then their commercial advisor will actually stand up and say, if this technology can deliver X, Y, and Z, that unlocks, you know, cost savings or operational efficiencies or, or new revenue. And there's something about the partners being, you know, a live endorsement, if you will, for their particular startup team, that that opens up all these different opportunities. And then it becomes day two is really about sitting down with each of the partners and seeing, okay, what could we do together here? So that's where we will come out of that with, you know, three to four times more pilots and proof of concepts. And then we have the back half of the program, the three months on the back half to really execute on that. And this year we've partnered with Sports Business Journal. So we will be at their drive conference um, and we will have a dedicated section. We'll, it'll be a startup showcase where you can see live demos. We'll have um, our partners there as, as advocates for the teams that they've worked with and really demonstrate the business value it's delivered for us. So that's fantastic. So the so partners are committed first by identifying their needs 
letting you know so that you can select startups. Well, you don't select the startups alone. You select with the partners, they decide, right? Exactly. exactly. Then you work on the pilot programs. Do they have any commercial commitment to make deals with the startups? The way we position it with the startups is you will get a pilot or a proof of concept. You will get an opportunity to really prove to that decision maker that your technology is critical enough to the business that we're willing to pay for it. And what so our North Star, I would say, are earning your way to those commercial deals that you're defining and finding real sustainable product market fit as a startup team. Um, and if we're willing to pay for it, it's critical to the business. You're getting revenue to help build a more sustainable business. And then that de-risks our initial investment. So it's a nice flywheel effect where nice. everybody um, gets value out of it. And, and that's the balance. It's making sure that the startups gain real value in helping to build their business, um, vet their products, um, you know, really everything from go-to-market strategy to branding and marketing and pricing and and how do you really negotiate uh, with a large enterprise like us? And the partners at the same time, they are investing their time and resources. So that is um, your time is your most precious resource. And so um, they've really got to see value at the end of the day for the time and commitment they've put into that startup team. So that means... I mean, it's projects that are all really meaningful uh, for the potential partners. I mean, the startups have to have a certain level of uh, or business cases. What do you expect uh, in terms of startup uh, credentials, I would say? Yeah, great question. So absolutely, there has to be a developed product that's already out on the market so that there's something that we can wrap our arms around and really test and pilot with. Um, we do look for some revenue, some traction to show that there's some viable product market fit there. Um, and then it's got a 100% aligned to an innovation need or priority, not just for one partner, but for multiple partners. Okay. And um, so that really helps kind of vet on the technology side um, of something that will be relevant. But honestly, at the end of the day, we are investing in our belief that this is the team to do it. So um, it's it's investing first and foremost in the founders and then the belief that the technology is is valid and, and worth taking a really deep look at how it can impact our business. What do you expect from the startup? What is the business relation with the startups? Yeah, so coming in, um, we will have already defined what that first proof of concept looks like with their commercial advisor. So at each step, we try to design the program so that it is meeting them where they are. Um, and as they are learning something from a curriculum development standpoint, whether it's something like um, how to effectively uh, document a proof of concept and be able to turn that into a POC agreement that can be signed by both parties. It's very clear about um, who's putting in what resources, what's the time frame of testing, what are the business outcomes, how are they going to um, you know, define what success looks like. So we help guide them through that process. Um, but each team is very, and I would say, especially in the back half of the program, the, the final three months, um, it is very, very bespoke to meet them where they are. And at that point, they are far along with their commercial advisor, but then it becomes a prioritization with other partners that want to test and pilot the technology. Okay, where should you put your resources? Because these are still small teams at the end of the day. 
Um, some of them are fundraising. And so we will, um, we do dedicated um, programming around that. And we bring in um, VCs that are investing in the space, help help them understand here's what we look for and why here are some of the more successful investments that we've made, uh, those types of things. So it's each year we are um, we are learning from the year before and changing and evolving the program. And the six the move to six months this year uh, was in some way an exciting, but also a little bit uncomfortable experiment because at the end of three months, everyone's used to the big traditional demo day. Um, and we've done away with a demo day. Um, we don't believe that there's transferable value in standing up on stage with a mic for four minutes and sit, telling about your business and then walking off stage. You've never closed a deal. <laughs> You've never mm-hmm. closed a commercial agreement with any client or prospect taking no questions in under four minutes. So we like more of that startup showcase. So it feels a little bit more like a trade show where you were there, you were showing your, your um, technology in action and you are shifting your storytelling, whether that's an investor standing in front of you or a potential client. Take more time, more in depth. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Do, do you take it equity from the startup in exchange of all those beautiful opportunities you give them? We do. So we do um, make a $50,000 investment in exchange for an equity position. We like to think of that as having skin in the game. It keeps mm-hmm. us accountable to making good on that investment. And again, it's um, it's because we think that the return on that portfolio, we may have one or two breakout successes, but at the end of the day, we're getting as much, if not more value in vetting technology that can bring cost savings. Uh, Book Seats is a great example of that. So Um, We paired them up as their commercial advisor with NBC Sports, with the golf team. And so if you look at our golf business, you have our golf channel, but um, they've really built a digital platform that is the entire lifestyle of golf. You know, go watch. What is your name again? What is the name Um, again of the company? So uh, this would be our NBC Sports golf business. So we have our golf channels. We have our our cable channel dedicated to that. But then we also have Golf Pass and Golf Now. So Golf Pass is a subscription and it is everything you want to immerse yourself in when it comes to golf, buying the merchandise, um, watching videos to improve your game, um, you know, finding your favorite players and getting tips and tricks from them. So it is a subscription service that is really about the lifestyle of golf. Uh, and then if you look at golf now, that is um, the largest tee time booking system in the world. So they work with about 11,000 golf course properties um, and you can go on and book a tee time. And one of the areas that they knew they needed to um, invest and solve for was travel around golf. Mm -hmm. And um, they have a dedicated sales team that can sell very high-end, bespoke, exclusive um, golf packages, but there isn't flexibility to change it. And it's at a very high price point and it is a very um, one-to-one sales um, experience of of sort of selling that. Um, So they were missing that whole everyday consumer that wants to get a bunch of buddies together and play in Phoenix 
and they're all, you know, flying in from different locations. So um, earlier or at the end of last year, they officially announced bookseats.com as their preferred travel engine. So you can now book your tea time and you can customize your own airfare and hotel um, accommodations around that. So that was just a great example of a real tangible need to support that lifestyle of golf. And it unlocks new revenue for our golf business as well. I can imagine that being a golfer, uh, I would love that service. <laughs> uh, that's that's a very tangible one. Do you have any other case, well, success story you would like to share to understand the journey uh, from presenting to working with a partner and you guys uh, to delivering a lot of value? So I think InVenue is a great example. So they were in our first cohort. Um, Kelly Proct is the CEO, uh, 20 plus years at HP, um, amazing, brilliant mathematician. And what she built was um, a predictive model for baseball. So the sport she loves, um, she wanted to apply that same math to what was the probability of what would happen next at bat. And what was interesting about um, her technology uh, when she applied, I had actually heard her on a podcast. I went to our deal flow team and said, has this company applied? And they said, yes, but we're not quite sure. Because at the time, remember back in 2020, sports went on pause. We didn't know when fans were going to be back. And the way that that technology was implemented was via an app that you could use in the stadium um, as kind of like a play along, like yeah. you place your bet as to whether or not you think it's going to be a home run or a base walk. And, um, and we weren't sure that we were going to have fans. Um, but I really believed in her and predictive analytics and what that can open up in terms of whether you're doing fantasy or sports betting, which is one of our investment categories to me, just really seemed like there's something here to work with. And the unique aspect of our business, because we have regional sports networks, we were able to use their technology um, in the broadcast during the Oakland A's and Chicago White Sox series. So you could see up on screen, it was pitch and predict, and it was the probability of what would happen next. The commentators got involved in it and we're talking about, you know, the technology and it you literally used upwards of like 200 different data signals, including weather and the last time the pitcher and the, the batter had come to bat um, together and, and was amazing technology that we were able to use in that live broadcast setting. Uh, what was interesting is Apple also saw that. So when they got their Friday night uh, baseball games, MLB produces it on their behalf. The very first thing I, they ask for in venue, that predictive analytics, because it helps change the storytelling. You get a deeper sense of the nuance of, of sports and the sheer athleticism and really um, it helps you appreciate how many hours of time these athletes have devoted in, in those high pressure moments, what they're able to accomplish. Um, I love any of those types of scenarios where you see things like whoop that, you know, has been integrated into um, golf production and, and broadcast to be able to see, you know, the heart rate go up. You have a feeling and an appreciation of, yeah, I know that that is an important putt. <laughs> But for them, you, it, like it's a visceral reaction, and they're able to calm that down and still execute. It's amazing. Yeah, it is uh, integration of data and how you use the data to engage is one of the key things. Whether it's you know, broadcasting or second screen experience, and yeah, 
lots of improvement in recent years. Uh, at the FIFA World Cup, you had a screen experience or second screen experience for people at the stadium. I we do. We the... actually have we have one in our current cohort, Aircast, um, and it is that same notion of you want to be there in the crowd, cheering on and experiencing it firsthand. But sometimes the broadcast is the better way to experience it. There's yes. that commentator storytelling that helps you understand the nuance of the sport. So Aircast um, is an interesting bridge between the two. So they allow you to, in the stadium, via your mobile device, be able to see alternative camera angles, uh, replays, listen to the broadcast audio, um, but talk about, you know, really needing to solve for latency because you can't be there in the stadium, <laughs> see a home run, and then, you know, three seconds later, see it on your mobile device. That is a disjointed experience. It has to all be um, very in sync. And um, so that was a unique one that when we brought them in again, because we have regional sports um, that gives us different rights and opportunities to test and pilot different things. And we knew for that technology really needed a co-advisor relationship. So um, they have both somebody from our NBC Sports RSN on the production side because a camera angle is just a camera angle, but knowing how to do the storytelling around it um, and the real production element of it was what we thought was the real differentiation there. And then the other co-advisor is with Comcast Business. So we're in about 140 stadiums across the U.S. Um, for um, you know networking, connectivity, Wi-Fi, security, all of those things. So uh, um, I guess it's been about two weeks now. Um, Aircast was piloting with the NBC Sports team in their suite in San Francisco at Oracle Park. So during the the um, San Francisco Giants and San Diego Padres series, uh, day one, they were really testing the latency, uh, making sure that that you weren't seeing that disjointed experience, that it was really happening in near real time on the device. Um, day two was different camera angles. They had large um, cameras so you could get aerial views. Uh, and then day three was um, incorporating in the broadcast feed in both English and Spanish. So talk about, again, uh, for those younger fans that were in that suite, the feedback was amazing because they mm -hmm. felt like they were a little bit of producers. And if they missed a great moment on the field, they weren't beholden to were they going to show it on a jumbo screen. They could go back to the replay loop and watch it live. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it's a giant stadium. And hi to Bill Sloat, uh, who's a friend. Uh, doing a great job. Is that 6G? It's one of the best connectivities in the stadium in the world. If I'm correct. It is. It is. Yep. So, um, but again, like even in each of those arenas and settings, you're going to have different underlying um, connectivity, different devices, yeah. um, you know, AP connections that are in there. So, fine tuning that technology and making sure that it can be used in all of those different sort of diverse settings is important. And um, so, very a complex. lot of things that came from that. Exactly. Yeah, very complex. Lots of sports organizations have different setups everywhere. So, yeah, yes. in, indoor and outdoor, because you also indoor, work with sports outdoor. that are yes. golf and oops, exactly. ski, ski. For yes, example, in snowboard, you you don't have connectivity as you're going down that slope. No, no. So you have to link that in. So in in figures, um, your Comcast, NBC, Sports Tech, in figures, how many startups have you been working with? How many deals have been done uh, just for startups to picture? Wow, 
this is relevant for me. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. So we, as I mentioned earlier, we are um, have applications open for cohort yeah. four. So we've run um, three programs. We invest in 10 companies each year. So our portfolio is currently at 30. Soon will be 40. Um, we often say there's the calendar program of the accelerator, but you are part of the family. So we continue to invest in our portfolio companies as their technology advances, making sure that we are getting them connections um, within the industry. And we have a, a number of partners that are not effectively in the consortium, but are ecosystem partners like the Atlanta Braves. Um, if you look at our central division where the physical location of the Comcast NBCU sports tech program is, it looks out into the Brave Stadium. Um, and that nice. is a multi-use complex that, you know, is running on Comcast business. So we have a lot of partners um, that come through those um, business relationships that exist already, whether that's Comcast business or through sports rights. Uh, and so... We have now, since our very first class, which took place in 2021, we delayed a little thinking, of course, we'll be together. Somehow we were able to pull off a 100% virtual program, um, but now we have a hybrid program. But our sports tech alumni, they've participated in over um, over 100. So it's 103 uh, pilots, partnerships, and commercial deals that have been accomplished since 2021. More than 100 deals. That's a lot. Talking... Well, obviously, we'll, we'll invite also startup to take a look um, and eventually be candidate. Um, now, speaking about technologies, you mentioned some. Um, what are the ones that eventually disappointed you? You were expecting more uh, outcomes and potential. And, and on the opposite side, the one you, you really want to pay attention to because you believe it's going to be a game, game changer eventually? Uh, not an easy question, obviously. No one has a crystal. Yeah. Yeah, not an easy question. I will say in general, a lot of times when you talk about immersive experiences, um, a lot of people immediately go to VR. It's a technology that um, I've never been a huge bullish fan of, um, in part because it doesn't feel like a shared experience. You have this, you know, headset on, it, it doesn't feel like the immersive fan experience that I enjoy. Um, and I am also one of those self-conscious people that knows that, you know, somebody else is looking at me looking weird because I'm having a different experience than they're having. Um, but I do think AR is amazing. There's um, a company that um, unfortunately too far along, but we're huge fans of um, Quintar. They work closely with PGA Tour and they've created an AR experience. So in what you love about watching um, golf on the broadcast is the shot trails, um, the apex moment, you know, how far away from the, um, the hole it is. And they've created that technology where you can use your phone and see the same overlay that you would see in a broadcast experience. Um, that's amazing technology that makes the experience at the tournament almost as exciting as, as being in your living room. So um, very bullish on that one. There is a company in that was in our last cohort, Headvantage. Again, an amazing um, founder. Uh, he was in the military. Um, he he used to like do jet missions, and so they always had the heads up display. So at the end of every mission, they would look back and they would, where were your eyes looking? Uh, what worked? What didn't work? And his notion was always, could I take that same um, 
same technology and apply that to an athlete? Wouldn't you want to know where the quarterback was was looking or where he should have been looking or else he would not have thrown, you know, a pass that got intercepted um, to be able to see if you're in the half pipe, like what would it look like to spin around in a half pipe? Um, and so it has both coaching implications, again, that half pipe experience, um, ski and snowboard is looking at it as well, because from a coaching standpoint, you want your athlete looking up above the top of, of the half pipe. You don't want them looking at the top of their snowboard. Um, but you as a coach don't really know where you can tell them where to look. <laughs> doesn't mean <laughs> I take tennis lessons all the time. <laughs> They tell me what to do all the time. My legs don't always do. Um, you know, it's a, it's a process of of that. So there's a coaching element to it that can help in you know football. That can help in um, skiing. Of like, how do you pick the right path um, as you're going down the the slope? Um, but it also has amazing health technology, and that's the piece where I do think it's amazing immersive experience to be able to see through the eyes of the athlete to help the commentators really understand what was going on in the mind of the athlete in that critical moment. Um, however, I think it's equally so, if not more powerful from a health standpoint. So if you look at it from um, you know, a football standpoint, the way the technology works is in that guard, it can have the camera that's looking at your eyes. And then you also have the eye tracking that's in the visor piece of it. And so you're able to capture a hundred images of the eye every second. So if there is a uh, an intense, you know, colliding of two two players out there, you're going to instantly see if there's any dilation, which is the the highest sign of a probable concussion. And for all that the NFL already invests in the digital aspect of their athletes and making sure that they can reduce injuries, this is another powerful way of of not just having a spotter on the side of the field, but having actual data of whether or not there were any eye dilation and not just for that potential concussion, but for the cumulative. And, mm -hmm. you know, it's a sport where they're investing a lot in making it safer for the athletes. Mm -hmm. And it's critical that they continue to do that because you look at, as an example, Sports Engine. Um, it's a youth sports platform that we own as part of NBC Sports Next. Um, we want kids playing in all different sports and diverse sports and parents feeling confident with their kids out there. Yeah. Um, we know that when you play as a kid, you remain a fan for life. You tune in. Um, that yeah. activates all of the, you know, advertising and sponsorship and the other elements that, that drive our sports business. So it's important. Um, so I think that company is one that um, he's a minority founder. Um, Super amazing. interesting. How, how is it? How is that? Is that a, land, a puppy land? How is it? So they have a partnership with Toby. So they are the ones that have a lot of the eye tracking technology. In fact, we use it in our accessibility lab. So for anybody who is um, has mobility issues, you can actually use this technology to change the channel based off of where you look on a channel guide. So um, it's just another example of we're a huge company. You wouldn't necessarily know how much we invest in things like accessibility. But, you know, our voice remote really started as um, making sure that the product, that entertainment experience um, was as immersive as possible, whether you had mobility issues or sight impairment or, or audio, um, like deaf and hard of hearing. Uh, but those 
innovations that happen in our accessibility lab are not kind of set aside. It is an integrated part of product development. And our voice remote, to be able to pick that up and say, you know, women's gymnastics and have it drop you right into that moment during the Olympics, that is technology everybody loves and makes it much more accessible to everybody at the same time. That's super interesting. On the coaching side, uh, I shouldn't make such a deep dive into this one, but on the coaching side, it's fascinating. If you look at soccer, one of the key, they're all they're all good in technique. Physically, they're all good. One of the key differentiators is the decision-making. When you receive the ball, where you're going to pass it. To be able to make decision-making, there's a big connection between the eyes Mm -hmm. and the decision. So you have to have looked around to know where to pass. And some, they don't have this ability. And some, like Messi, they do. They have looked everywhere before they receive and pass. That makes a big difference. Yeah. Super, super interesting. On the referee side, it's interesting as well because you could see scenes you're not seeing. Exactly. Exactly. And Uh, you're seeing, you're seeing that was probably another aspect of the pandemic of needing to lean on technology for line calling and some of those things. And so, yeah, AI is taking over the referee space in some instances to be able to have the proof along with the expert that's at the sidelines. Um, but I, I absolutely agree with you. Our daughter plays, well, we call it soccer here in the US. Um, but it is, it, I think you have that innate skill, but I think you can learn it and develop it over time with ball control. But it is not easy to be able to read the field, to dribble down the field. Um, we, we've seen it with our daughter. She's um, she's typically offense um, center forward. And there are times when she gets the ball and the whole court, you know, like the whole field is is open. She's almost more used to passing it to one of her teammates. It's like, no, this is your breakthrough moment. Kiddo, get up there. Yeah, exactly. yeah, it takes it takes a lot of hard work and practice. And from a coaching standpoint, if you truly knew where they were scanning and what they were thinking, um, it helps with the decision making because it is both a physical and a mental. Every sport is. Every. It's super interesting. So you've got some nice technologies in no doubt on that. Um, you're on the fourth cohort. It's been quite a nice journey, it seems. What, what are, if you had to summarize, which is not easy, your main learnings and, and, and then a question would be, how can you make it bigger? I mean, it's so nice. What, what is your dream? What is, yes. a, I know you have a North Star, but what is your dream? <laughs> no, no, it's a great question. So um, first off, I will say what has surprised us probably the most is we didn't anticipate that the partners would get as much value in the relationships they build amongst each other because of the shared innovation needs and priorities. Um, it's it's a little it has created this um effect that I think happened during the pandemic where all of these different sports leagues really sort of shared a lot of intel of how they were safely getting back to playing the sport and bringing fans back. There was amazing collaboration that happened because it had to happen. Um, We have fostered a program where that continues to happen year round and has since, you know, 2021, when we had our first um, cohort start. So I think that's been a really interesting discovery Another is a lot of times we will look at technology where you wouldn't necessarily say, oh, that's a sports technology. It's more that it is technology that on the grand stage of sports as an industry 
is a great place to really um, develop the product and get it out to you know the billions of fans. There's a way for them to experience that technology. But the companies that we've invested in that can span into any other industry are equally um, impressive. Um, two examples for you. So Let's Chat, they were in our last cohort, um, and they do real-time video subtitling in over 106 languages. So they, they do this for the NFL Plus stream service. Um, they do it for websites, for applications, um, you name it. And so they have a commercial deal with um, Golf Now and Golf Pass. So wouldn't you prefer to book your tea time in Portuguese if you'd like? Absolutely. Um, and they have a really unique way that they've implemented that technology. And we were just meeting with them yesterday because there are other parts of our business where we can meet our customers um, in a way that they want to be met. So if you want to order um, internet connectivity, again, in Portuguese, you should be able to do that. And same thing when it comes to chat, they can do live language translation and chat. They can do live translation between a sales agent and, um, and a customer. So I think it's just fundamentally changes how our customers can interact with us because we're that much more accessible. And that's applicable on the Xfinity side of our business, Comcast business side, um, in our retail stores. Um, that is really a much more inclusive way to treat your, your customers. And so I think we're just getting started with Let's Chat. They've definitely proven out on the NBC side of the house, and there's so much more that they can do. Um, another great example is in our current cohort, Rivalry Tech. So they allow you to um, mobile order um, in a stadium and have that delivered straight to your seat, um, which sounds pretty easy, but honestly, nice just... Help. Just standing up, yes, just the ability to stand up an app to order a hot dog doesn't mean it's going to arrive to you warm. <laughs> um, so they have they have gone all the way through to the back-end kitchen management so that if you are ordering something, it will give you a delivery window that the kitchen can accommodate. And they do this for the New York Mets, um, uh, the White Sox. So they are already doing it for, they're sort of the behind the scenes for Uber Eats in a lot of different settings. Um, and obviously in a sports stadium where you have a concentrated amount of fans coming in and a window of time, that's an interesting playground, but they're equally finding success in hospitality. Um, you have that same dynamic where nurses, doctors, um, they have a compressed time window. And if they're spending half of their small break um, standing in line to get food, that's not an efficient use of their time. So there's an opportunity definitely in the in the hospital space and hospitality. So they've been working closely with our Comcast business team because if you look at quick serve restaurants, hospitality, um, hospital settings, we have very strong verticals there with some um, high tier clients. And to be able to bring that technology in has been really interesting. So they will be testing soon in um, the... Uh, the tournament championship in Atlanta with PGA Tour, and then actually um, the FedEx Cup beforehand in Memphis, Tennessee, uh, they will also be testing with Comcast Business so that one of those delivery or pickup places can be the Comcast Business Pavilion, which is on site at a lot of the different tournaments through their partnership with PGA Tour. What something that surprised me, you were mentioning me, 50% of the of the founders of the startups in the new cohort in the fourth cohort if i'm correct 
um, are women. Yes. Yes. So that's beautiful. It is. And it's um, so if you look at the top of the funnel, I mentioned uh, last year we had um, a little over 900 applicants. The percentage of female founders applying at the top of the funnel is a lower percentage than we would like. It has drastically improved since um, 2021. And I, I attribute that to some very strategic relationships that we've developed. Uh, we work closely with WIST, Women in Sports Technology. It's a nonprofit that is dedicated to helping women break into and stay in the sports and technology space. So they help women at all stages of their career. And they have been amazing advocates in the program, um, doing a, a, a session for our founders on how do you build an inclusive, diverse culture. Um, they recommend and refer startups, female founders to apply to us all the time. They We've actually brought them into helping us score some of them, again, for that diversity lens to make sure that we have very, very diverse um, thoughts and processes and leaders that are, are weighing in and scoring those companies. And so in our current cohort, 50% are female founders, um, 70% um, are minority founders, and um, we never set a quota. Exactly. Um, That's meritocracy. Yeah. Because yeah. we so, don't need because to. Because that's solution, like, right? Yeah, we don't need to. We, But we want to see more women have the confidence to apply. And so the more we can get in front of the right female founders and really explain the program, um, there will be others that look like you in the program. You will not be the lonely only in the program. The more we can do that, that gives them the confidence to apply. And that's that's what I always say, just get in the arena, right? So the first step of getting in the arena is apply. Um, then we know what you're working on and we have a real chance of um, of working through. And I think that's why at, at the end of it, you, you see cohorts like we have. That's fantastic. I remember one day speaking with a friend who was innovation director in a big sports equipment company he was telling me, you know what? In the international innovation team, we're all white. <laughs> we no Asians, no blacks, almost no women. How can we do innovation? <laughs> How can we do that? We need to understand we need to represent all the needs of all, all the segments of societies, all the diversities. And yeah. that was interesting. So it's great to see that you have more women. I think we add value in the perspective of things. Yeah, I mean, the, the data is there. Women-led companies um, have a higher amount of, of revenue, profit, um, shareholder success. So uh, nice. we think of it as a smart investment at the end of the day. Cool. Cool. So you did not answer my question when it comes to your dream. Ah, yes, my dream. So for a while, <laughs> my dream was getting Premier League to join. Um, okay. So that, that that dream, we we um, we were able to um, to accomplish that last week when we announced them. Um, yeah. My dream, I will say, you know, as the portfolio gets larger because we continue to invest in them, this is not just when you're in the program, we pay attention to you. It's part of why we make an investment in them so that we really are held accountable to um, to not just writing a check and being passive, but really being partners and helping them build the business. Um, so I'm at that point where we kind of need to grow the team a little bit more on the portfolio management side so that we can bring in um, more sports partners. And, you know, if you look at um, 
at the sports landscape. I think there's so much more that we could do around women's sports. I would love to have a partner in the consortium on, um, you know, one of the big high profile um, women's leagues out there. I think that is an untapped area. And if you look at the fan base of, of fans of women's sports, they are tech savvy. They are digital. <laughs> they have to be to be able to find where they can watch the teams they love. Uh, we haven't necessarily made it easy for them. And so I would love to um, to bring in um, a, a partner from that standpoint, too. Yeah. So those those would be the. So, yeah, we got to keep growing so we can keep investing and um, and bring in a, one of the top women's leagues. Yeah, lots of growth coming in women's sports. It's um absolutely it's uh, the figures are impressive uh, nice i love it yeah. i thank you so much but before we close i've got a little ritual it's um some simple question for you simple question for quick answers <laughs> the fire round okay i'm ready cool who's your favorite all-time athlete and why michael johnson i mean we, so we had this tradition, actually, this is kind of funny, where um, we would all, you know, do our warm up, we'd stretch, and then um, we would all be in a circle, we'd hold hands, Coach Hart would say something inspiring about, you know, character and hard work and, you know, where we were racing that weekend and what we needed to do as a team to succeed. And then, um, and then it was always everybody up and you'd raise your arms up and then you'd let go and then everybody would go off to do, um, you know, their training. And um, he likes to joke around a fair amount. And so one time I was holding his hands and instead of doing everybody up, he kept one hand down and the other person and I was kind of like, <laughs> be in between. Um, so for everything from his, um, his love of what he did, the hard work that he put in, um, the willingness to give back as an assistant coach to all of us, um, his foresight in having the courage to say, I want that to be a gold shoe in the 1996 Olympics. Um, all of that to me is everything um, I gained as an athlete of, of teamwork, time management, dedication, devotion, being willing to step on the line and see what you're made of. And he was just always an example of that for me. And fun at the same time, it seems. And fun, yes. <laughs> Jokester. <laughs> <laughs> what is your favorite stadium? Favorite stadium, Roland Garros. Oh. Yes. Okay. I. I um, there's really, if you look off, you look at the strategy of why we bring in partners that we do. We don't really have um, sports rights and investments in the tennis that really makes sense for us there. But um, Roland Garros was the one of the last live events that I was at in 2019 and got to see Federer play. Um, just amazing. Really? Yeah. Just an anecdote. When I, just, when I was born, just got out of the clinic and went straight to Roland Garros with my parents. <laughs> and when every year the time I was living in France every year awesome. I played tennis and coached tennis nice I, I agree with you <laughs> excellent what, what is your favorite sound in a stadium um I think it has to be the joy of of oh! <laughs> so that that was the very last and this is also why Premier League is very near and dear to my heart um the very last uh, in-person sporting event I was at was in February, end of February in 2020. 
It was um, Chelsea versus Bayern match. And I have never experienced fandom like that. Um, that was just palpitating. Um, and that was where that was where I realized we might call it soccer. It is a worldwide football sport that has fans in every corner of the world. And it's part of what I love about sports. You know, you talk about diversity. There is nothing that brings us together more than sports. No doubt. What is your favorite word? Favorite word. Hmm. It's funny if if it were if I'm talking about it as I think it's kindness actually. I nice. say this to my daughter all the time. Like, be the one that brings kindness to the world. Um, and I think kindness plays a beautiful role in athletics as well. Um, that's to me what being a true teammate is. Um, so yeah, kindness. And you can still win kind. It's not incompatible. You don't have to be. Yeah, bad one to win on the opposite. One great advice you have received or learned you would like to share. Um, I did share already the advice from um from our coach, um, Coach Hart, uh, recruit for good citizens first, great athletes mm -hmm. second. Um, I will say I I have a post-it note um at my home office <laughs> in our guest bedroom and um uh, my office here that is don't believe everything you think. I think that that is, um, I gravitate to that because for me, it is, it's a reminder, always stay curious, always ask questions, always be interested in, in learning and growing. And what you think today um, is going to change and evolve. Don't believe everything you think. It challenges you to go beyond the status quo. I think it's a good motto to live by. Love that one. Never heard it. And it's uh And I don't even know who to attribute it to. That's the sad thing. I heard it on a podcast and it was out running and I literally stopped my tracks. And yeah. Um, yeah. It's, uh, it's highly interesting and useful. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> If you had one more hour every day, what would you do with it? One more hour of every day. Um, I would... I would either go for a run or I think right now I would snuggle with our daughter. She's about to turn 11. And um, so she's still um, very much in that sort of like loving cuddling stage. And I'm about to lose her to the teen years. So I should use that hour to cuddle with her. Uh, I'm going to pick cuddling with her. Oh, I understand my uh, 10 and 7 and same feeling. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. If heaven exists, what? Not an easy one. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Well done. <laughs> nice. In general, well done. Like well done as an athlete, as a as a parent, as a businesswoman. Well done. And that was the first thing that popped in my head. I think he's probably would say something a little more profound than that, but it's the first thing that popped in my head. That would be a nice one. <laughs> Jenna, I'm sure this, for the people who will listen to that podcast, it's going to be highly interesting, useful, and makes them wish to get in touch with you. <laughs> <laughs> so I highly appreciate your time. Um, good luck for this cohort and for all the coming endeavors. Um, your project is beautiful, highly beautiful, bringing value to so many stakeholders together. Uh, I guess this is one important piece being together in that terrain. So congrats, congrats for that. 
and we'll be in touch. Thank you. This is this has been an absolute joy to talk about um, you know the building of sports tech and why it matters. And yes, I'm fortunate. I got to architect my dream job, and I get to give back to startups that are bringing us closer to sports. So can't get much better than that. Not much, not much. Congrats again, and talk to you soon. Cheers. Thank Thank you all for listening to a new SIS Masters podcast. We'd love you to subscribe. Please leave a review or rate the podcast. It will help us improve. We'd love to see you in the next episode. Enjoy. Enjoy.